you would please remain standing and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Um, if you have a bookmark in your Bible, I would suggest you put it in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be here for a while. Um, I was practicing with Fran on Friday, and she said, three years, really? Yes, probably for three years. We're going to be in Luke for a while. It's a, it's a long one. So we're going to be reading Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 25. Uh, Luke 1, 5 to 25. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. In the days of King Herod, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and in the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things will take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them, and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended... He went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked upon me to take away my reproach among people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord remains forever. You may be seated. you please bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and honoring in your sight, O Lord, our rock 
and our Redeemer. And it's in Jesus' name alone that we pray. Amen. Silence. It's awkward, is it not? Glenn, I saw you smiling in the back there. Silence is hard for us to deal with sometimes. That was about 15 seconds. Sometimes it feels like an eternity. Uh, When I was a youth pastor and I would ask kids questions, uh, I would always tell them, you know what, silence doesn't bother me. We can sit here all day, Um, but um, uh, I will just wait so we have uh, some people who would speak up. And sometimes it would take a while, but usually people would start responding. But um, when you're sitting in silence, usually a lot of questions start to get raised. Like, what is he doing? Um, what is going on? Uh, is he okay? Is he going to say anything? Well, this is the situation that the Israelites find themselves in as we start off Luke's gospel. It's been 400 years of silence for them. Uh, For us, that was about 15 seconds. They had waited generation upon generation upon generation for the Lord to speak to them. But it had been, like I said, 400 years since they had last heard from a prophet in Israel. The, The prophet Micah was the last one. So they were experiencing this, thing, this long and extended time of silence. Uh, to put it in perspective, uh, our country is about 250 years old, give or take. So um, if you think back to the time of George Washington, we seem like that's forever ago. George Washington. Uh, this was even longer for them. And as they were sitting in silence waiting for God to speak to them, they had questions as well. Where are you, God? What are you doing? Why are you not saying anything to us? What is going on? And in our passage this morning, God breaks his silence. He finally does by sending his angel Gabriel to a priest by the name of Zechariah. And in our passage this morning, we're going to see that God clearly reveals to us his plan of redemption. And by doing so, he's going to call us to react in faith. So like a good Presbyterian sermon, we've got three points this morning. First of all, God's plan of redemption is evident in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth by God's removal of their reproach and by his answering of their prayers. Uh, We're going to see that God's plan of redemption will be played out in the life of John And then we're going to see that God's plan of redemption calls us to respond by faith. So let's look at the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And this is how Luke begins his gospel. What we said last week is that Luke is writing a gospel for us so that we might know for certain the things that we have been taught about Christ. Luke's gospel is the most complete gospel. Uh, We don't have this story of John the Baptist in any other gospel. Um, But Luke starts at the very beginning with John, the one who is to prepare the way for Christ. And he is the one that goes through the entire life of Christ 
to his resurrection and then to his ascension. So Luke begins by introducing to us uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Zechariah, a priest. Uh, Elizabeth, from the descendants of Aaron. These are people that people would look up to. The people of Israel respected them. But not just because of their lineage, but also because of the way that they lived their lives. Uh, The Bible tells us that Zechariah and Elizabeth walked blamelessly before the Lord. They were righteous. Outwardly, it appeared that this couple had it all together. But, as we know, internally, they struggled. Psalm 127, verses 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. Excuse me. Children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Most often these verses bring joy to our hearts, but not always. And not to to Zechariah and Elizabeth. Although they were old enough to be grandparents, maybe even great-grandparents, they had no children of their own. And in this time, during the time when Luke was writing, barrenness brought shame and reproach on a family, uh, particularly for the women. Women who didn't possess the ability to bear children carried with them the worst possible fate of a married woman. In essence, she was looked upon as a disgrace. And as if personal shame wasn't enough, people also believed that barrenness signaled God's disfavor. Like she had done something wrong, that there was some sin that she had committed that had caused her to be this way. Zechariah and Elizabeth may have appeared righteous on the outside, but maybe people were thinking, well, what are they really like, though? Maybe people were whispering behind their backs, does this couple have a secret sin that we don't know about that is causing them to not have children? Is God punishing them because of what they have done? But as Luke shows us, this could not be further from the truth. Sometimes we do suffer punishment for our sins, um, but that is not always uh, the case, uh, that is not always the cause of our trials and our sufferings. Stephanie and I have known several friends and family members who have struggled with infertility, and it's hard. Uh, It's very difficult. Uh, A cousin of hers sent her an email this past Wednesday night, the night before Thanksgiving, giving thanks, uh, expressing thanks to the family, uh, because after years uh, of trying to get pregnant and doing various things, um, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. Uh, She's seven weeks pregnant, and they are thrilled. Um, We have friends at at our old church in Augusta uh, who tried for probably 10 to 12 years to have children and never could. Um, They are celebrating this time, uh, Christmas, uh, with a newborn um, that they believe never would happen. Um, Each situation is different, but in some ways, each of these situations are the same. There is grief. There is sorrow. 
There's frustration, sometimes even anger. And I'm sure that Zechariah and Elizabeth, they probably felt these emotions as well. Um, But in the midst of these feelings, they did the one thing that they knew to do. They prayed. And God heard their prayers. You see, when the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah in the temple, he tells Zechariah that his prayers have been answered. Now, we can take this in a couple of ways. Um, There's probably two prayers that Zechariah had been praying. Obviously, they had been praying for for a child. And they had been praying for a child for a long, long time. But this wasn't the only grief in their life. You see, their people, the Jews, the Israelites, were also suffering trials and hardships for 400 long years had gone by since they had heard from the Lord, since any prophet had spoken. And at this point in their history, they were not free people. They were under control of the Romans. And Herod, in particular, as Luke tells us, the Jews ached for redemption like Elizabeth ached for a child. So these are the prayers that Zechariah was praying for redemption for his family but also redemption for his people. And God remembers them. In fact, Zechariah's name itself means God remembers. God tells him through Gabriel that they are going to have a son, and his name is going to be John. And our passage ends with Elizabeth five months pregnant, and she is rejoicing that God has removed her reproach. And what we see here is that God answers prayer in his timing and in his own way. Uh, This elderly couple, they didn't realize it, but God had a very, very specific reason why he waited to bless them with children. And according to his sovereign plan, he was patiently waiting for just the right time to bless them with a son. Because their son was going to be special. He was going to be the one who was going to pave the way for God's Son. He was going to be the one that prophets wrote about hundreds of years before. And God decided to send this boy into the world in an amazing way to a couple who has well past their childbearing years. Now, the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth need to be an encouragement to us. Now, not everyone has suffered through the trials of infertility like Elizabeth, uh, but we do have trials and our own set of sufferings. Some of us are experiencing that right now. Uh, At times, if you're like me, it seems like your prayers go unanswered or that the ears of heaven have been closed And it's not that God is not listening to us or that He doesn't care. That's not the case. The reality is is that we don't have the eyes to see exactly what God is doing in the moment. Uh, One of my son Oliver's favorite books is called Hermie. Uh, It's a story by Max Licato. Maybe some of you know it if you have small children. Uh, They also made it into, uh, I think, a a 30-minute video. Um, He loves this book so much that he often is seen carrying it around the house. Sometimes he takes it to bed with him. 
Um, if he loses it, he says, where's my Hermie book? <laughs> I go, oh, okay, let's go find it. Um, he loves it so much that uh, we, we got several chickens uh, a couple of weeks ago, six of them to be uh, exact. Um, we came up with original names for them like Flap, um, because one flaps his wings, uh, Squawk, because it squawks, uh, Quick, because it's the fastest one, uh, Pecky, <laughs> you can see where, it, but one of them is named Hermie, because Oliver loves it so much. Um, now, in this book, Hermie is a caterpillar, and he has a best friend, also a caterpillar, called Wormy. And Hermie prays to God, and he asks God why he would make him so ordinary. He sees himself, and he thinks that he is just plain. But God responds by telling Hermie that he is not finished with him yet. Throughout the course of the book, Hermie encounters different characters. He meets an ant, and he prays to God, Why didn't you make me strong like the ant? But God responds, Hermie, I'm not finished with you yet. Next, he encounters a ladybug, and he wants to be fabulous and beautiful like the ladybug. But God says, Hermie, I'm not finished with you yet. They see a snail, and Hermie thinks it's cool that this snail can carry his house around on his back. And Hermie says, God, why didn't you give me something like that? But God responds by saying, Hermie, Hermie, I'm not finished with you yet. And so you can imagine how the story ends. One day, Hermie gets tired, and he falls asleep. He finds himself in a cocoon, and he sleeps for several weeks. And when he wakes up, surprise, surprise, he is no longer ordinary. Instead, Hermie is transformed into this beautiful, stunning butterfly. And it's at this point that Hermie understands what God was telling him when he said, I'm not finished with you yet, Hermie. I think that God often answers our prayers in much the same way. You see, God acts in ways that we don't totally understand what is going on. And if you're like me, you often get frustrated. We think that God is not acting, but in reality, He is acting. He's just not acting in the ways that we want Him to. And that's the issue. God may not be changing us all into butterflies, but He is working in and through our circumstances often in ways that we might not possibly understand. Rather than asking God to work according to our own wills, we should be asking God to give us insight into His will. We need to trust God who answers prayer in His own way and in His own timing. And I know that is easier said than done. But those are the moments when we need to remind ourselves about who God is. We spent the last several months looking into the attributes of God. When we struggle, when we get frustrated, we need to remind ourselves that God is a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of justice, who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. And that's not to say that we won't have times of doubts and of frustration. And that doesn't mean that we won't ever shed tears of sorrow. 
It just means that in those times we are able to look to God and trust Him even when we don't understand what is going on or if things don't turn out exactly the way that we had hoped that they would. In the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth, what God was doing was preparing them for a son who would be more extraordinary than they could ever ask or imagine. So not only was God revealing his plan of redemption in the lives of Zechariah and Elizabeth, but he was also revealing his plan of redemption in the life of John. He was telling them what will happen as John is going to be used by the Holy Spirit to turn people's hearts to the Lord and prepare the way for the coming of Christ. Now, we're going to have a lot more opportunities to talk about John as we go through Luke's gospel. Um, John plays a, a very prominent role, especially in the beginning of Luke's gospel. Um, but Luke gives us great insights in this passage into the life of John the Baptist, what it's going to be like. He says that he is going to bring joy and gladness to his parents. Uh, that many are going to rejoice at his birth. And not only that, he is going to be great before the Lord. In fact, Jesus is going to tell us that there is none greater that is born of a woman than John the Baptist. He's going to be an incredible individual. And the reason he's going to be this incredible individual is because he's going to be filled by the Holy Spirit even from the time he is conceived in his mother's womb. And that is incredible. Um, he is going to turn people's hearts to the Lord. He's going to have the spirit of Elijah fulfilling prophecy that we read about in the Old Testament. And he is going to make ready a people prepared. He is going to have the incredible task of getting people ready for the coming of Jesus. Uh, this is no ordinary child. This is an incredible and a very special baby boy. He is the one that God promised long ago who would come in the spirit of Elijah, prepare the people for the Lord. And he is the result and the proof that God has not forgotten his promises. In fact, he is getting ready to fulfill them through Jesus, the Messiah. Now, as I said, we're going to have lots of more opportunities to, to talk about John as we work our way through this gospel. So we know that God did reveal his plan of redemption through the lives of, of Zechariah, through Elizabeth. He is going to do it in, in the life of John. And what he's calling us to now is to respond with faith. So this is a pretty familiar story to us. Uh, the story of, of John, the announcement of John's birth, of Zechariah and what happened to him. Um, a little backstory on uh, on this whole exchange between Zechariah and the angel. Um, when Zechariah, as a priest, uh, he would be on duty in the temple two weeks, um, every two weeks, um, for, for a two-week period of time. Uh, I, I think every two months or so, for a two-week period of time, he would be on duty at the temple. And priests would be chosen by lot, as what happened here, to burn incense that would be symbolic of God's prayers, or the prayers of, of the people rising up to God. And this was a very special occurrence. 
if you were selected by lot to do this, it would be a once-in-a-lifetime event. It would happen once, and at that point you would be, in a sense, honorably retired. Your name wouldn't be in the hat anymore. Uh, you would have a, a special... Um, people would look on you with, with a deal of respect because this is what you have been able to do. So this is one of the greatest moments in, in Zechariah's life. He is an old man at this point, and he has never been able to do this. And so he gets this special blessing. And I can just picture him as he's walking into the temple, you know, doing this very solemn act. And suddenly, what does he see? But an angel. Um, I'm, I'm sure that he was surprised. As the Bible says, fear fell upon him. Um, he was just awestruck. And not only did he see an angel, but he had a most incredible message for him. The angel tells him that his wife is going to have a son. But for a man who Luke Luke describes as righteous, as walking blamelessly before the Lord, his reaction to Gabriel's message is a little surprising. Instead of taking the angel at his word, what does Zechariah do? He questions him and he says, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And Gabriel's response to me is classic. He says, I am Gabriel. In a sense, do you realize who I am? I am an angel from the, from the Lord. We are standing here in the temple. I was literally in the presence of God a second ago, and he sent me here to you. In a sense, how dare you question me? Do you realize who I am? Gabriel sees Zechariah's response as an obvious lack of faith. And so he hands down an appropriate punishment on Zechariah. Zechariah questions the angel, and so the angel says, Well, I'm sorry, you're going to be unable to speak until your child is born. And as we know, later on, miraculously, Zechariah's speech would be restored. Now, if you understand Zechariah, um, we can understand that in our lives we may have momentary lapses of faith. We are not perfect. We struggle. uh, And obviously that occurred in Zechariah's life. But this was a monumental lapse of faith and trust. Um, sometimes we as Christians complain that we wish that God would be more clear with us. That as we pray that we wish uh, that God would speak to us. That he would write it in the sky. That he would do something so clear that we just wouldn't be able to doubt what he is doing or what he is telling us to do. Often we see, we say, Man, I wish that God would just tell me. Or I feel like God is silent. Well, here we have a situation where God literally speaks to a man. And he gives him an amazing message. But instead of exercising faith and believing what he is hearing, he doubts and he questions. But on top of that, Zechariah was a priest. And I don't want to just bash Zechariah here. Um, But honestly, he was a priest. He knew the history of God's people. He knew what Scripture said. He knew that he was not the only person in the world who had ever been promised a child in his own age. 
He had Abraham and Sarah. Uh, there's the story of, of Hannah and her barrenness, her infertility, where God answered her prayer uh, with her son Samuel. In reality, Zechariah should have known better. And in reality, we should know better. God was looking for a faithful response from Zechariah. So when he responded with unbelief, he suffered the consequences for his doubts. You see, God is calling us to faith, just like he called Zechariah to faith. He's calling us to faith when we can clearly see what he is doing, but also in the times of uncertainty as well. Um, ironically, Zechariah expressed faith when he didn't really see what God was doing. Throughout those times in their lives where they were struggling with barrenness, Zechariah remained righteous. But then when God clearly spoke to him, he doubted and he faltered in his faith. You see, God is calling us to faith even when we don't understand what is going on in our lives. During the times when it feels like God may be absent, maybe he's not answering our prayers, uh, he's calling us to exercise trust. And we need to move from questions like, God, where are you? To questions such as, what are you teaching me through this, God? Or how am I to see your glory through this? God is calling us to faith. Um, I like to play with my children uh, when I get home. Uh, usually one of the things that we do after we have dinner is we have a little bit of time to play Tickle Tackle. Uh, it's a game that we like to play. Um, usually it involves me throwing my children around our playroom upstairs and they love it. Uh, occasionally, well, more than occasionally, I get tired. <laughs> and uh, they may hit me or tackle me or knock me over. And it, it feels good to just kind of rest for a little while to pretend that I'm dead because <laughs> they have tackled me. But uh, my children know that the only way to revive me, because obviously they can't lift me up, the only way to revive me, they realize, is through prayer. So they pray, uh, Lord, <laughs> Please help Daddy to get up. Please answer our prayer. Amen. Now, every time that they pray that prayer, a miraculous thing happens. Daddy is revived. Their prayers are answered. Uh, that's the type of faith that God is calling us to. To know that our prayers are going to be answered. He's calling us to faith like children. To know that we come before Him, our prayers are heard, and they are responded to. As we enter into the season of Advent, we're preparing to celebrate the birth of Christ. And we are called to exercise our faith. Faith in Christ. God calls us to believe who Jesus is, to believe in what Jesus did, to exercise faith in his plan of redemption, to believe in his son Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior. He's calling us to believe that Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins. And this is one of the reasons why even during the Advent season we come to the table. Um, it may seem weird to celebrate the death of Christ as we are preparing for his birth. But the whole reason that Christ came was for this. He came so that his body might be broken 
and that His blood might be shed for a complete forgiveness of all of our sins. And this is what God is calling us to have faith in this morning. So if you're a Christian, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come to the table. This is a visible reminder of our faith and our trust in Christ, whose body was broken, whose blood was shed for us. So if you are a believer, if you are in good standing in an evangelical church, um, we invite you to come to the table, to come and commune with us. If you have not, if you have not put your faith in Christ, we invite you to just simply let the elements pass you by. Um, But we ask that you would pray in your heart to receive the Lord. Uh, If you have questions or if you would like to speak with me or one of the elders about putting your faith and trust in Christ, please, please see me after the service. I would love to talk to you about that.